welcome, my fellow true seekers, to another edition of the Conspiracy Analytica podcast. Today's show is something special, probably one of my favorite installments yet. We get weird, we get out there, we get deep, and most of all, we get into the woo. The woo of Cliff High. This conversation between the two of us has been a long time coming, and we get down and dirty with some real conspiracy theorizing in this one. So here's the deal. I wanted to do a show on this podcast about UFOs, because on one hand, it's such a fascinating and important issue to discover the truth about for humanity, but at the same time, there's just so many hoaxsters and frankly bullshitters out there claiming all sorts of things, like they're in the secret space program and these whistleblowers or they're super soldiers, or they're getting channeled messages from the Galactic Federation of Aliens and all sorts of crazy stuff. Not only that, but we have a government, which of course is so honorable and never lies to us, definitely wouldn't lie to us about UFOs and what they really have developed in terms of space technologies. So I figured to do a show on this subject, who better than to have on than the Jedi Master himself, Cliff High. Cliff has a brilliant brain and he goes no holds barred against charlatans, a perfect combination for this podcast. I begin by asking him about how he first got into the study of UFOs, which was a few decades ago. He's been doing this work for a long time. Then we discuss various hoaxsters throughout the years, from people faking UFO sightings decades ago to more recent claims that people are super secret, super duper space soldier whistleblowers who used to work for the government. Then towards the latter half of this conversation, we probably get into my favorite part of it, when we start discussing theories about the physics behind UFO propulsion and how they use magnetism for the counteraction of gravity and essentially levitation. And then we finish up discussing a few other topics like the ideas about the Earth's pole shift, the expanding Earth theory, the solar micronova, among other topics. I think you'll be fascinated with this discussion, so without further ado, here is Cliff High. All right, I am here with the Jedi Master himself, Cliff High. Thank you, sir, for coming on with me today. How you doing? <laughs> doing fine. A little sleepy, but I'm okay. Yeah. So we've had major major storms keeping us up here. So yeah, you're not too far away, just a few hours. So it's been very rainy, very stormy, very wet and cold. So to get into our conversation, you know, I um on this podcast, I've yet to really dig deep into the UFO phenomenon and the uh, secret space program niche of it as well. I know you have been interested in it, researching it for years now, and I, I don't know how long, which is what I wanted to ask you to start off. How did you really get into the subject of, I guess, ufology, as they call it, and when did you get into it? Um, I was um, probably three years old, and um, my, my father worked, we were in Alaska, um, I was born in the lower 48, but they, we moved very shortly after that. And my, uh, I was probably, maybe it was shading into four years old. And, um, my dad worked on this thing called the do line. That's the defense early warning line where the government was setting up all of these electronics and, and unmanned stations across Alaska to warn us if the Soviets were trying a sneak attack or something. Right. And so this was a major program for, years ongoing in Alaska. And my dad uh, was a company commander at that time and um, uh, moved his men around doing things for the contractors that were actually setting it all up. 
anyway, uh, he had a real good relationship with a local tribe, and uh, they invited him, and he took me on one of these large caribou harvests, okay? This is, uh, this is where a bunch of tribes get together. They don't do them every year or anything like that. They're, they were very rare. In the 50s, I, I was only aware while we were up there in Alaska of this one that happened. And so we, we, it was a, you know, a big adventure. Uh, my mom freaked out. My dad said, you know, let him go. And so I went. And, um, uh, you know, you're bundled up. It's Alaska. It's uh, snow all over. You're using sleds and dogs and stuff. And you're following caribou herds that are in like, um, at that time, maybe there were 100,000 caribou in the herd. I don't know how many actual members were in that herd. But right. I, know that, I know that as a kid, we, I could smell them like a day before we saw the herd. You could smell them that far away, the stink of the of the animals. Uh, anyway, so we're out there. It was a multi-day deal. And I just, all I did was sit on a sled all bundled up with the dogs hauling it and look. And uh, uh, because it's Alaska and because of the nature of the sun up there, you have a lot of dark, right? And so uh, I saw a UFO. I saw something that made no sense to me, even as a small kid, and I couldn't articulate it to anybody or anything like that. But it, it kind of like tweaked me that, you know, why is that thing? I didn't even conceptualize stars, I'm quite sure. But why is that thing moving over my head? Um, anyway, though, so I've been interested in it ever since then. Uh, since since that uh, caribou hunt and riding on the the, the dog sled and uh, and seeing that thing up there that uh, for all I could tell was following us right and and had a relationship with us uh, so since then I've always been interested in um, uh, UFO stuff and this was definitely pre-internet so where did your that where was did like you... 1950. I want to say 57, maybe 56, late 56, early 57. Yeah, interesting time frame too. Makes me makes me wonder if that was maybe one of ours, a man-made one or one of theirs. But uh yeah, who knows? Yeah. But uh where did your studies take you? I mean, was it a while before you started reading or looking into it, or were you pretty fascinated and through the kind of 70s, 80s, you studied it more? Um, no, no, I'm um okay, so. Uh, I suffer schizophrenia, so my mind is not like other people. So uh, I live in this state that I call the woo, right? All of the stuff in the woo is all this stuff that's unknown, that all the normies throw out, don't discuss, won't look at, uh, get afraid of, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have a mental illness, you frequently live in these very unpredictable um, uh, perceptions of reality. So even, I mean, I switched in 1963 from UFOs to political conspiracies because of the death of Kennedy. But I was from that point on in 57, I couldn't read or anything, but I was thinking about this. I was examining my reality, trying to consider what was going on. Bear in mind that as a schizophrenic, you don't learn to think as others do. Okay. So it, it's difficult to explain to someone that isn't suffering from it, that doesn't understand the nature of the mental illness and the fugue states and stuff. Uh, but um, I've been, since that point, I've been on it. And then it simply has evolved over the years to many, many different trails and so forth. So at one point in my later youth, um, I went to, um, discovered the state library in Olympia, right? 
Yeah. That's one of the that's one of the 16 repositories of the Library of Congress. So the idea was in the 50s that, oh, let's take a copy of the Library of Congress, split it up and scatter it around the, the United States as a continuity of government move, as a surety for keeping this information alive. This gotcha. is all pre-internet, of course, right? And so anyway, I was the best individual customer. The state library by its charter is is there to pr provide information to the governor, the governor's staff, state employees and state um, employment or state departments, and then the public. But, you know, they don't stop you from coming in. But I was the single largest. Uh, I took out and read more books than any state agency or any other person. So I took out more books and read more books out of the state library over a course of a number of years than any state uh, agency. So uh, social and health services with all those people always checking stuff out. Later on, I went to work for the state library just to get access to the periodicals and all this kind of stuff. Gotcha. So that was, that was when I really started investigating the nature of our reality was in the, uh, let's say the early seventies, uh, going through the state library's stuff. They have a lot of, a lot of weird stuff uh, from the library of Congress in there. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of it was collecting dust too that not many people looked at, but here you were, you know, spending pretty much all your time there. So sounds like it wasn't even a studying, I guess, these conspiracies or the deeper reality, deeper nature of reality. It wasn't even a hobby for you. It was a literal mindset. It was who you were as a person with the way your brain operates, you know, and it sounds like I wouldn't even call it a mental illness. I would just call it you were your your thought processes aren't in the box of which the controllers want you to be in, you're just looking at, you know, reality I, for what I, it is. You're looking at the patterns. Right. And, and okay, so uh, this is the way tribal people live, right? Mm -hmm. Is it, It's all within the patterns. Patterns shift constantly. So there's only discovery in the woo. And discoveries change all the time. So you go out into the woods around here, and you see that damn bear looming up out of the fog at you, and, and you're just shocked and stock still and then you realize you know a millisecond later whew, it's only a stump with you know a huckleberry bush and the in the fog and it's drippy and so on right it's mm -hmm. not really a bear and so this is what reality is for people that have to discern daily because they their mind won't allow them to accept and and live within the paradigm okay so that's basically what it is is that the normies in my in my way of thinking are living within a paradigm that is implanted in them. For whatever reason, there are individuals, and it's called mental illness, uh, that can't accept living in that paradigm. And I just have a mental illness that is like, that is in that category. And so it's, it's just, I had to train myself to think in order, a particular way, in order to um, uh, live and work within the normie paradigm world, uh, which was necessary in order to survive. And I, and I cogitated, I thought about it, I analyzed, and I came up with a plan and set about that plan, and, and it kind of worked. I mean, I was su successful in the endeavors I, I uh, chose to support myself and my family, and, uh, and that all worked. And in the meantime, I was also able to um, get access to resources to further my research. Well, it sounds the way your brain's been wired. It's kind of a blessing and a curse in your case, and I'm glad to get that description of woo because i've been curious about what woo meant to you for the past few years since i've heard you heard you say it so appreciate all that now okay moving on to kind of the next part of what i want to talk to you about so you're studying 
all these different books throughout the 70s, throughout the 80s. You have access to just all this information you're sucking in and you're you're curious about the true nature of reality, the stuff they don't tell us about. Um, in the study of, I guess, UFOs, there's this, what they call ufology or this kind of close-knit community and almost community of communities, I guess, of people that are interested in the subject. Now, when did you, I guess... How do I want to ask this? When did you kind of start looking at the community, I guess, following it? And when did you maybe start questioning some of the personalities within this community? That would have been like uh, 60, uh, probably 62, okay? Before we went to uh, Germany. Is that back in the Blue Book days? Uh, yeah, that would have been blue book days. Yeah. The Heineck and all of those guys. Okay. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't come into that until I started reading about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I wasn't, wasn't reading about it at, at, uh, that time and that age, but we have, um, we have relatives, uh, uh, strong across the South and on the East and the West coast. And so prior to, uh, being, uh, going to a station somewhere, a new, uh, posting, we would frequently take a month off and go visit all the relatives, right? Because my dad, nature of his job, he accrued a lot of leave time uh, because he was working all these weird hours and stuff, right? Anyway, and so we would drive back and forth across from, um, oh, like from South Carolina to California, or California over to South Carolina or wherever we were embarking from. And we would stop and see relatives along the way. And some of the relatives were into Christianity and they'd try and haul us to revival tent meetings. And so we'd go, it's what the hell, you know, there was no entertainment in some of these podunk towns so that it served that, that feature. Some of these also included, the, the revival tent meeting would also include a little side venue of people that were into UFO shit or, there were there were actual um, uh, UFO uh, little mini conference kind of things under tents mm -hmm. in uh, New Mexico or Arizona in like and and that was the time after we got back from Europe so that would have been sixty seven or sixty eight we went to one of these my dad and I went to a UFO tent and it was just fascinating you know with the they didn't have like blow up aliens or anything like that it was all art it was all sketched on paper and people telling their stories right. um, and, and so um uh in 67 i started reading about it and then i started reading about you know um all of the previous uh great hoaxsters in the um you know billy meyer all of these kind of people now now i gotta say something about billy meyer i, I know a lot of people in the ufo world that love billy meyer they think he's legit and all of this kind of stuff right but i was over in germany in the 60s when billy meyer was active in switzerland when we were in germany we were stationed down in in variously basically across southern germany around Mannheim, Mannheim, munich uh, stuttgart that area right and we would we would go just uh for the nature of vacations we'd go through bavaria up over the um uh alps into switzerland and then down into the italian alps and go into vacation in italy in the course of that we would go and see my dad's german and swiss relatives one of his swiss relatives was on the other side of a small hill of ranges from billy myers um valley where he had his farm and we saw billy myers um ranch as we were driving or not ranch but his farm as we were driving by but also my relatives my dad's second cousin or whatever the hell they were were telling us about the one-armed cook job in the other valley and how he had hoaxed them okay because huh. 
because my relatives are in that group picture that Billy Meyer has where he did the double exposure of all the people in the little valley looking up and pointing. Oh, and he small put, world. And he, and he put a, a UFO over the top of it. And this had happened to them, uh, I would say, mere months from my first meeting with them, that they had discovered that he, they had been used from a couple of years previous, right? So anyway, so so it was just kind of a, a funny, so I've, I've come across the hoaxer aspect of it from the very get-go. And it's very, and see, here's the thing, right? So um, it's very difficult to con a schizophrenic because we're so paranoid that we're misinterpreting the signals from reality because we frequently don't have adequate control on our perceptions that we constantly live in a state of paranoia. So I'm always assuming that I'm misinterpreting what something somebody is saying to me. So I will research it and analyze it until I'm absolutely sure that I have a rock solid understanding of this. Sort of makes sense, right? Um, yeah. A regular guy is just going to assume everybody's like him, and he's going to give you the benefit of the doubt when you come on up and, and talk to him and that kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so they'll they'll sort of be suckered in. But if you've got a paranoid there, I'm just assuming that you're going to try and con me and or my perceptions are going to try and deceive me as to what you're actually saying. Yeah, I don't... I don't have too much uh, familiarity with Billy Meyer, but I am aware of Billy Meyer's, what does he call him? His American contact named Michael Horn. And, oh, uh, that guy, yeah. Yeah, he, he doesn't like anybody. He, he's had some choice words for me in the past. and <laughs> So, yeah, or late 60s, early 70s, you're, you're really starting to, I guess, question some of these, some of these kooks and hoaxers out there. And, uh, no, small no, no, I just, I just knew they were there. I mean, I oh, just... Okay, gotcha. All right, so... Um... All right. So like I say, I live tribal. So uh, my dad would park me with the local tribe in Alaska. And in a small community like that, isolated, uh, you get to, if you're observant, you get to understand that, that there's niches and people occupy these niches. Mm -hmm. And there's people that are just, you know, for whatever reason, they're untrustworthy and you just don't want to fuck with them. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Let's get into like, sure the 90s, 2000s, I guess, internet age. Um, kind of what, is that the Art Bell age we could call it as well? I don't know. But what, yeah. uh, where did you kind of go then in the, in the 90s, okay. 2000s? So, all right, so I got into the 90s because in a serious way, because I got into computers in, 70, in 1979. Okay, gotcha. I had my first PC in 1979. So I was logging on to the bulletin board systems long before the internet. And I was sucking down all the UFO information. Bear in mind, even before pornography was available through the BBSs, they were, there was dial-up BBSs devoted to UFOs, many of them. And they were growing so fast that you couldn't have a, I mean, there were a way to UFO addiction is worse than a porn addiction for some people. You, you, you've got it. You've got it. And of course, a lot of them, you, you had to dial in. So you had to have yeah. your modem. You had to pay for the phone lines and everything. So you were, they were, you know, it was costing a, a big money. Hmm. Um, and making big money for people too. So, so all through then, then we get into the nineties and the internet and everything shifts over from the BBSs over the course of like uh, 93 through 97. And that was when I was doing all of my um, analysis because uh, of the language, because I had come to this conclusion in 93 that people are, are psychic and they sense this shit ahead of time. I'd seen it demonstrated to me repeatedly. 
And, and I knew they were leaking out these psychic impressions in language. And here was this vast quantity of, of language to get at. And so uh, one of the ways that you, or one of the areas where people are most free in their discussion of things were in the UFO forums, right? Because you're discussing something that's so far outside the pale, so far outside normie land that you can use any language you want because, you know, you're not talking to your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, that sort of thing, right? right. So you're, you're free with it. And that's, that was just a marvelous area to mine uh, during that period of time. That's why I came across um um, Project Avalon and Corey Good and all of these guys and David Wilcock, et cetera, right? Um, and, you know, I think I first encountered David Wilcock in like 97, maybe 98 um, in passing. And, you know, he fit the Billy Meyer category. The language he was using was definitively, uh, specifically vague to sell a, a an agenda. So I knew from my paranoia that he was trying to sell uh, something informational. And so, so you'll, you'll so you'll see something. Let me give you a clue here, right? The yeah. language, the, the language that uh, David Wilcock, uh, Corey Good, and all the people associated with him, and uh, Charlie Ward and Simon Parks and all the people associated with them contains um, many, many, many words that are intended to be persuasive. If you were to look at Charlie Ward's statements, reduce them down to paper, you know, get a, a, a speech to text, have uh, That's Charlie- That's exactly Ward. what I do. I put their videos into a transcriber and it's a lot easier to read and see right. what also, also, you get it flat without the um, extra emotional import of them putting that out through their voice. Now, without the baggage, yes. Right, do that with their language and, com and compare that with uh, language from General Flynn. Okay, and you're going to see an entirely different relationship of words, even if they were to be discussing the same subject exactly, because uh, Flynn has the approach of having facts and putting out putting them out there for you to accept or not. <laughs> right. Charlie yeah. Ward wants you to accept those facts. In fact, he can't have you leave his presence without getting some kind of um, a response from you that you're buying into his BS. Yeah. Gotcha. So throughout the, yeah, and there's, I'm sure a lot of people who are kind of using, I like how you said vague too, because I, I notice a lot of what these various kind of networks or groups of people that are very persuasive, trying to get you to, to basically, they're basically brainwashing you. Uh, they use very vague terminologies and half the time you walk away questioning what the heck they're even talking about and you don't get any specifics. It's just this, this very surface level rhetoric like surface level conspiracy rhetoric and yeah it's it's lack of any finer details void of it so anyway your story throughout the 90s 2000s you're really you're data mining these forums and especially these uh ufo forums these out there woo forums because you're looking for you were looking for the language and you're you're processing the language trying to see basically who's full of shit and who's not and nope, then nope. Nope, nope. I was okay. I, I didn't Sorry. care about it. I didn't care about any of that. Okay. Gotcha. So so my my processing the language was to to gather up um, textually leaked psychic impressions, of okay. which I was able to get some that were so fantastic that I knew eight months in advance that uh, of the Banda Achi earthquake and that there would be at least 330,000 people killed, that it would be described as an electrical event and that the 
country would be knocked back to a previous age. I also knew in that same run, uh, four months out, or three months out, that the Scott uh, Peterson uh, trial in California would be hit by an earthquake and people would jump out of the first uh, story windows trying to flee the courtroom. So I was after psychic impressions that were that good, that they were that accurate. Also, the gotcha. Costa Concordia. So it was only incidental <laughs> that I would rack up these big bins with David Wilcox shit or Corey Good shit, you know, because I had to, I had to, uh, you have to understand. I would go to some trouble to collect millions of, of what I called reads of 2,000 plus words in each read. And then I would go to some considerable trouble to throw most of it away, trying to sift like you would for gold panning. You, you have to go through mountains of dirt in order to get the few flakes, right? Mm -hmm. Same sort of process here. And so I would chuck most of that language, uh, but I didn't want to just like delete it because of maybe I would be, especially in the early years, because maybe it would, could be re-examined in a different way and bring out more, right? So, so you take your tailings when you're, when you think you see a little bit of flake, you put it in a jar with that little bit of sand and you process it later. That's the kind of deal I was. So I would collect these bins of what was basically garbage language coming out of David Wilcock and Corey Good and these other people, right? And, and I knew they were there. So I, I became aware of them uh, in that regard. So, so yeah, you were, you were not trying to find out who was full of crap and not, you were just trying to find out the nature of reality through, correct, correct. through the way language is used and the way somebody's basically subliminal consciousness would pump out these words uh, and the psychic okay, impressions, so, as you call them. All right. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, so I set out to use this technology to make money, right? Mm -hmm. To be lazy, uh, to retire early. Gotcha. My, because I discovered that people are not logical or rational when it comes to their investments and that they buy stocks, which were the only real investments you could do at that time, the only real avenue. Uh, they buy stocks based on emotion, not logic, fundamentals, et cetera, right? Absolutely. They're doing it primarily on emotion. And so that's what I was doing was hunting up emotional um, changes around uh, I, words I thought I could identify related to specific stocks with the idea that I would front run even the front runners because I would have this psychic leak that could tell me three days, maybe three weeks, maybe three months or three years ahead of what was going on, that this was going to happen and I could position myself appropriately. And then I stumbled into the rest of the, of the woo stuff that was coming through and sort of forgot all about that. But so that was my motivation. It was very hard headed. It was very practical. And then I discovered a whole lot of stuff about the psychic leaks and how they come on out. Um, and it was valid because I was able to make these predictions over time that got me into Bitcoin uh, before there were capacity to mine it. So I knew in 2005 that Bitcoin was coming even before the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper was released by the prescient language that everybody was leaking out. And people, uh, you have to understand, um, we now know from Michael Litton's work that every single one of our cells is constantly changing in its ionic balance on its surface. And that ionic balance constantly changes our electricity level on that individual cell. We also know that all these individual cells that are next to each other combine to little mini networks. We know that the mini networks combine and then there's more networks and so on up until we get to the point of key energy, life force, et cetera. So we are electrical beings constantly in motion and changing at every cell level. This includes our brain. Our brains are, are microcrystals micro in, in an emulsified oil. Okay, that's the gray matter. So right. we, we are antennae. 
We, that's all our body are, is a dynamic electrical antenna in every single one of our cells, including our brain, and then a brain that has quasi-crystals that are, that are held in suspension by an emulsified oil so that they can vibrate perfectly with external radiation coming in. Thus, we pick up stuff from universe as it is manifesting in what is known as the refresh rate of universe that the Navy keeps talking about in relation to the UFOs and in relation to their patents, and in which I discuss and describe in detail in my videos called the Wooble. And, and so we are electrical beings vibrating at such a level that we pick up impressions, but we're so, sort of dense in our matter and, it, and we don't consciously uh, perceive that we're picking this up, but it unconsciously leaks out in our language or in some people's actions. But of course, I'm not able to pick that up, right? Yeah. But I could pick up the language. Fascinating. Fascinating. So getting into, I guess, kind of, Last 10, 15 years, um, we've, you, we've put out a couple of names of people who are questionable, to say the least, to put it lightly. How about, um, you know, one thing I do want to ask you, how about over the last five years when the mainstream media started coming out with their UFO disclosure garbage, they're kind of watered down, limited hangout stuff. What do you think of these particular, I guess, former government people and basically the people who we're seeing on CNN and Fox News and all of them. Uh, have you looked at their linguistics or checked them out at all? Like say a Chris Mellon or a Lou Elizondo? Um, yeah, I've looked at Lou and I've, I've looked at Mellon. Uh, I think Mellon's uh, legit. I mean, I think he's uh, uh, operating from his own level of personal integrity. Uh, and I think that Elizondo um, is constrained and so is not able to effectively uh, speak and so forth. But I don't really um, take these guys as like the cutting edge of the UFO stuff. Okay. Yeah. All right. So over the years, especially with my technology and especially with um, uh, the way things worked out, I've come into contact with um, what we might think of as the deep state. Okay. At, at, at individual levels. And so over the course of those years, I've managed to make uh, relationships with individuals within that those organizations, uh, these individuals I think are are uh, operating in an uh, integrity of their own personal integrity within the constraints that they're that are forced on them, and we have relationships. And so these people will um, just by my talking to them, uh, I get impressions from the way they use their language, and so I know that. Um, uh, that the government's in a real bind, okay? The deep state is, is, uh, has got their nuts in a bear trap uh, over the UFO stuff, and they're absolutely freaking about it. So I will tell you factually, uh, without revealing anything, but I will, and I'm not under any NDA. I never signed that kind of shit, right? Everybody that talks to me knows that, that at some point I may get pissed if they damage the relationship and may, may decide I'm going to spill the beans and stuff, but I'm honorable up until that point. I don't see any, any reason to uh, disclose private conversations, you know, that we're working on. Plus I'm doing all this magnet work and so on, right? So I've gotten patents on the magnets. Some of the and deep state players were, were impressed with some of the things I've discovered about the magnets. They were very impressed with my Wooble discovery. Um, and so they talked to me because they think I can provide them with 
um, potentials for uh, avenues or opportunities for some of their problems. All right. And they got a shitload of problems. So the reality is that our military, um, our military on its face and to its subcontractors, uh, going down to subcontractors that might be uh, uh, sub-aqua, um, is really freaked out. Okay, they're really, really, really freaked out by the statistical uh, escalation of this phenomenon, whatever it is. And on their on its face, these individuals are out of their depth. They have no idea what's going on. So they put out uh, to okay. So you know how the government works. You know how the deep state works. Anytime they do anything, there's dozens of agendas going on, and everybody piles on as much as they can once they know something's happening, right? And so the deep state puts out the tic tac uh, UFO stuff mm -hmm. and puts out the videos. One of their reasons for doing so was to um, see if they could get people like myself to respond with information that we might see in that video that they do not. All right. Gotcha. And so, so, and so, so they're that, trying that to basically worked. get people to, to speak up and then they say, okay, that person knows something and we can go maybe get something from them. Or, or just follow the idea that they've that they're postulating. Okay. So, okay. so that, that was one part of it. Another part of it is that they were doing a propagation study. Now I've done these where you put out language and you want to see how far it spreads on the internet, how long it takes and how much engagement you get with it. It's like an advertising kind of um, uh, an analytic, right? Mm -hmm. And so, so they're doing that to see how much of a, of a pop they're getting out of this because they know that we are approaching some form of a threshold. That threshold uh, so right now on our globe, there are 500 UFO sightings every day. Wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, 500 doubt it every day. Okay, recorded. And now, because granted, anybody granted what those craft are and who pilots them is another question, but that's a different issue entirely. Okay, yeah. a different different issue entirely. So, um, uh, but here's the thing you'll notice that they're not showing you TR-3Bs. They're not showing you triangular craft or any of this kind of stuff. Little they're blips, showing, little white blips, little nothing, right. yeah. Well, no, no, that's not true, okay? That's not nothing, and it was fantastically illuminating. Absolutely okay. brilliant in terms of having that out there because there was something that they didn't know existed that I did, and I spoke up about it, and that got me into contact with some other people that are involved in this, right? They were looking for these kind of clues that they just didn't have a, have a clue about. Because I've read Boscovich, uh, this book on the ether that was written and published in the 1600s, um, uh, okay, that was the definitive work uh, on um, the understanding of the ether from the Byzantine Empire, and they'd spent like 1,100 years thinking about it, uh, and I read this book, I noticed something in that UFO video, and I said, hmm, is that the case? Am I actually seeing this? And then I looked at all of the Tic Tac UFO videos, and I discovered, indeed, I am seeing that. And so now I know definitively that every single one of those Tic Tacs operate within a magnetic structure. What they do is they throw a magnetic field around themselves of a particular polarity, of a particular strength. And okay. then they th then through that field into the air, they make the air magnetic and resistant to their magnetism. 
And they, they find one of these particular magnetic lines that's, that flows through space in all directions from us. And they hop on that magnetic line and they can move instantly to the termination point that they choose on that magnetic line. All of it being done because of the ability to control magnetism within the refresh rate of universe. As you, as you see in my in my Wubble video, so mm -hmm. it has it has nothing to do with that. It's propulsionless because there's no outflow to make you move. It doesn't use second uh, law yeah, of uh, no Bernoulli's of, principle, no wings required, no, no nothing, nothing, and instantaneous, near instantaneous movement at any, mostly at any level of scale. So we have so when you create a magnetic field, so every magnet is throwing magnetic fields at various different levels. I've got these things out all over. So it's throwing out a magnetic field that's very close to it, then another one, and then another one, and then another one out into infinity as the, the universe is refreshing as a, in its refresh rate. I know from my studies of Avogadro's number and all of this kind of stuff that the universe is refreshing at 22 trillion times a second, and that we're in a continuous um, creation destruction model of universe. So conceptually, you're, you're here, at, at point X and you create, uh, let me put it the other way, you create a, a magnetic polarity here in the air, you make your spaceship the opposite polarity and you choose one of these magnetic wave lines to ride on and it will shoot you to that termination point nearly instantaneously. This is how they accomplish 80,000 feet down to uh, hover over the water at six inches like that. And because you're in a magnetic bubble, it's all inertialless. Right, inertial shielding too, so they don't feel any G-forces. Correct. And, and, seeing, all... and seeing your description and your, your picture there, it also makes me think of, rather than using transverse waves, they're using longitudinal waves going point to point. They're, they're not longitudinal. They don't go point to point. They're actually um, spirals. They're actually uh, cones. They spiral around a conical shape. Okay, so all magnetism is this way. It's either... Uh, kind of what Walter Russell was getting into when he was in his drawings. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Of. But see, here's the, here's the thing about that too. The... Um, the nature of the magnetism is that, that the reason I discovered this was the reason that they put out that video, just to see if someone saw something. Okay. This, all right, definitively, you know it's a magnetic drive when they stop and when they start, okay? Because when they stop, it'll always wobble. It'll come to an oscillation and just stop. And that's how all magnetism works within other magnetic fields. When it slams into something, um, it, it has a, a hesitation. And you see that hesitation in the effect of magnets dropped against a plate of copper. Right. You know, there, there's that magnetic breaking effect, right? And, and it oscillates. So I saw the oscillation and I said, aha, magnetism, and operated from there and started thinking about it from that point on. And then when they start up, in order for their systems to work, they have their spaceship, they have to turn the belly of it in the direction that they wanna go because of the nature of the magnetic bubble that they're putting on it and hardening the bubble in the top half of it, so to speak. So these two, two clues describe to me how they are doing things, not how they actually generate the field, what, what elements they're using to throw outside their ship to make the air magnetically resistant to their ship, but I know they're doing it. And so, we're talking, you know, the New York Times, they put out their, those black and white tic-tac videos in December 2017. So exactly four and some change years ago. Um, and you're saying it was a basically social experiment to put out there to see what kind of reads they could get in doing so. 
Um, uh, there's other aspects, though. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure there was a variety of agendas they put out there to do it. The, the threshold effect. I mean, there, uh -huh. what's going to happen when there's, uh, you know, five thousand UFO visits every day being recorded? That kind of thing. We're going to cross yeah. a threshold where they will start to dominate our social order. Gotcha. So now, kind of moving this conversation, um, we were talking. We're, we're talking just generally a UFO how they basically function, how they propel themselves using magnetism. Do you, we didn't really discuss, I guess, who could be piloting them. Do you think any sort of compartmentalized projects within the military or the intelligence community has access to this sort of maybe rudimentary physics or rudimentary science? Uh, here's the do thing. they have any craft that could do this? Um, okay, so here's the thing. They may, I would have suspected no, Mm -hmm. uh, initially, because it's outside of the bounds of their thinking. All right. So most of our social order doesn't think about magnetic bubbles and traveling right. magnetically. They think That's why Lock I use the word compartmentalized. You know, could there be just right. a tiny little group somewhere that, I don't know, is under the control of Lockheed or something like that, that uh, might have... Uh, well, here's the thing. Um, uh, Navy, the U.S. Navy. Okay. Right. Because the Navy is filing the patents. So there's been a couple of patents that are in the bullshit range of patents that David... Uh, and Corey always cite as being, you know, and even carry. And you're talking uh, about the Salvatore Pace ones. Correct, correct. Yeah. All of that, that and those are, of those are only 2018. Those are only three or four years old, so. Correct, correct. But in any event, though, there are patents that have been filed by the, the Navy that specifically reference within the text. People just look at the drawings and then go on. They never read the things. But if you read the, the language of the patent, they specifically reference their ability to do these things within the gap in the refresh rate of reality. Okay, so they are talking about the destruction gap, the void that the meditators try and get into that uh -huh. I've described in my Wubble discussions and moving within that, which is exactly uh, how it should be. So if you think about it this way, we're, we're continuously created and destroyed 22 trillion times a second. So 22 trillion times a second, universe refreshes its rate, uh, refreshes and recreates your body, your brain, your and everything where you're sitting. Your consciousness stays there. It doesn't get destroyed. And then as soon as it refreshes you, it, it destroys you again so that it, we can have movement, right? Very much like motion pictures. And, and we have to do this in reality. That 22 trillion times a second refresh rate means that if you could operate at that level, you could tell your consciousness, I'm here, and it recreates your body right here. And then the next time your, your consciousness recreates your body in that next 22 trillionth of a second of recreation, you could tell yourself, that you're in New York at the at the uh, Statue of Liberty, and your body would recreate itself in New York with no travel in between because it's not necessary that the body itself travel in between because it doesn't exist in that gap. Gotcha. Makes sense? So, yep. so this is actually the fundamental mechanism that is postulated in all those movies like Jumper, where they jump. Jumper. I used to watch a cartoon when I was young called Dragon Ball Z, and they would have the the characters basically do that instantaneous travel in some regard. And I think even in one of the latest Star Wars movies, they had old Luke Skywalker essentially do that too, where I, I think it was more of like an astral depiction, but essentially he was getting into that meditative space and had him exactly. kind of travel like okay. that. Yeah. So, so now the Navy is claiming in their patent, which has been granted. So was this, was this the Pace patents or was it a different one? So I don't, I, I don't think it was. I, I, I think it was a different one. It I, sounds I, like I, it might've been look. different. The Salvatore Pace patents were kind of more standard uh, model yeah. physics. Yeah, it wasn't impressive. 
Um, do you know how old these particular patents are talking about I, the destruction I, rate? I'll have to go in. I'll have to go and look it up. Uh, okay, I, gotcha. I, I just okay. have read them. I didn't note any of the metadata. It was in passing. Um, and it just stuck with me. So no, sorry, I just don't know. But it was okay. within like the last six years, seven years. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Um, and, and see, there's the thing. You're quite correct. All of the other patents we see proffered for any of this kind of stuff is, is all regular standard physics model stuff, right? Yeah. With the exception of um, Bob Lazar, who's describing in his own words, what I'm also describing, okay? He's talking about it with the gravity amplifiers and all of that, but in fact, we're just not, we're not talking gravity or any of that, we're talking magnetics. And they just didn't clue, you know, tumble to the, to the values or to the idea of what was actually going on. So they were just looking at it in a different model uh, than the magnetics. And if they looked at it in the magnetics, maybe they would have been able to make more progress. So I know from my contact with some of these military subcontractors who have been impressed with my thinking about the Wubble, um, that, you know, they are A, impressed with this idea, this understanding, B, think it's very likely, C, find that the Navy is pursuing it with their uh, version of UFOs, which have nothing to do with the TR-3Bs and all of those kind of things, right? Gotcha. Which you, can, you can see those at night with the night vision goggles out here on the coast. Yeah, some, um, some speculate that the TR-3Bs are like Air Force made, and then the Navy's kind of creating different craft, maybe with different mechanisms, as you described this, here, that might even be more advanced. This would be logical because we operate on the Prussian model of the military. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so our America, uh, the United States military, so okay, at the time of the Revolutionary War, over 50% of the people living in the United States were from Germany. Okay, they were not English. So it was like 54% of the population was German. Uh, we brought in all kinds of, of German um, hierarchical- 40s, 40s, 50s, Operation Paperclip, right. yep, yep. Correct. But even before that, I'm saying that we inculcated into our, our uh, organization a hierarchical structure from the Prussian army kind of stuff. Okay. And so, and so it's all compartmentalized. So when we went into World War II fighting the Germans, we were fighting the military industrial complex of the German Navy. We were fighting the military industrial complex of the, the Wuftlaffe, uh, of the Air Force, of, the, of their army. They each had their own they were entirely compartmentalized, each had their own entire military industrial complex. So it was like fighting four or five nations at a single time. Um, and so I suspect that our uh, structures are like that and that the Navy don't tell the Air Force shit. That's exactly how I've thought of it the past few years as well, is it where we're basically dealing with our own little cliques, our own little groups within our own military that are all combating for their own little agendas and control, whether it's self-serving agendas or uh not self-serving agendas who you know it depends on the group i guess right yeah so i want to get back into talking about fascinating conversation i want to get back into talking about i guess some of these alleged whistleblowers um we've discussed a couple earlier a few minutes back you did mention lazar you know i, I always found lazar interesting uh the intuitive read when I when I watch him and his body language and him speak and whatnot, I, I get a feel like he's working out of a space of integrity. Although yeah. I get a feeling that he doesn't know maybe about the agendas of those around him and what they might be using him for. Um, 
and that's that's the way it is with everybody. Yeah, right? it's a, it's very rare that anybody's going to be like a Joe Rogan and manage his people as opposed to being managed by his people, mm-hmm. right? So once you allow yourself to have the managers, then you sort of get into that subservient role. Um, Lazar, I think, is in that position. I think he's coming from a place of integrity. I have have to have full disclaimer. I do personal business with the guy. Okay. He, run, he runs United Nuclear, and I bought uh, uh, calibration services, Geiger counters, uh, you know, all kinds of material and stuff from him. So, so I and I've never found him to be anything other than absolutely honorable and. And, uh, you know, coming from a place of integrity. So it's my thinking that, you know, he got into a situation where he was way over his head as a kid, did the best that he could, and is still suffering the results of that. And Mm -hmm. this is the, this is exactly what you want to see in a whistleblower. Okay, so let's contrast Bob Lazar um, and Corey Good or anybody else, any of the other secret space program whistleblowers or secret soldiers or any of this. Look Man, at them and- the, the past year or two, there's just it's a dime a dozen these days with whistleblowers. Oh, they're popping up like mushrooms in the. Oh, everybody's been on a twenty and back, and everybody's getting yeah. memory recall and all this stuff. Right. Man, it's crazy. But look at look at how they speak relative to things, and look at Bob Lazar and his body language. When Bob Lazar is speaking, it is torturous. He does not want to be there. He gets migraines. His head is always down. He's physically suffering, trying to tell you this stuff, working through his own emotional trauma with this. Right? This yeah. is this is what you want when you've seen shit like space aliens. Now. Imagine the kind of being that you would have to imagine the man you personally would be if if I put you even for a brief period of time in a combat situation fighting for your life every day against fucking space aliens, you would be so transformed that you would come out of that with you would not be the person you are now. Okay? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so I knew the minute I heard Corey Good speak that he'd never experienced anything like combat. He's never been in any situation where he was trans that where he went through a transformational process. Why is this? Because it is so fucking difficult to talk about the transformational process because it is all fucking suffering. And look at how Lazar, he doesn't get into how he has suffered, except tangentially, right? And he makes these statements, but he doesn't try and sell the way that he's suffered, the way that David Wilcock will sell you his suffering. Oh my God, they're trying to kill me. They cut my brakes. You know, all of this kind of shit, right? And he's weeping and crying the histrionics. And so you get that level of language with these grifters that you don't get out of real people. And so I've lived for the first 17 years of my life with hardened combat veterans, and so I got that language. I understand that language in the, as a military brat. And I don't see it coming out of any of these fuckers that are in the secret sol- soldier programs or the Corey Good UFO uh, you know, pilots or any yeah. of this stuff. See, They're, secret space super soldier program uh, whistleblower. Oh. And, you know, um, Mark Richards, you know, from uh, Kerry Castle. Yeah. Oh, my God. And people believe this. Now, what really irritates me is the is the cascade of suffering that comes from the people that are selling these weird devices and shit like uh, simon parks and uh, charlie ward yeah his, his new med ipod ipod medical <laughs> med bed things and and look at who they're look at who they're ripping off uh-huh. the most desperate people on the planet yeah. so you know i've i've had cancer three times and i died from cancer and i know that pain and that desperation and so i have an actual hatred for the behavior of uh, Charlie and uh, Simon Parks for what they are doing uh, to my tribe of fellow sufferers with their fake 
um, cures, right? They're diverting them, they're taking their energy, they're raping them money and destroying their minds, et cetera, et cetera, on promises that will never ever be realized. And so I, I detest that behavior. I don't hate Charlie, I don't hate Simon. Uh, I would actually love to have Charlie threaten me, have him threaten to send his boys around to talk to me, because I haven't had any live target practice in a long time. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, out here in the West, it's like someone crawls over your fence, they're putting them, themselves in your property, right? Uh, so, and, and Charlie is known to do that. He's known to threaten people with physical beat beatdowns by gangs of his expat uh, uh, Brits. I don't know that it's ever happened, but he does a lot of threats that way. Um, and, you know, it just goes to the kind of guy that he is. And the fact that he's harming these individuals with his uh, spew, um, uh, yeah, it, and it's it's always the most the people in the desperate situations. They have their Nazara QFS nonsense to pander yeah. to the broke people out there who who need money in their situation. They put out their med bed nonsense to pander to the to the people desperate for some sort of uh, health relief. Yeah, it's I agree. It's the behavior that's detestable. You you hope you pray that they turn out. They you know they do good things. They make good choices, and they don't use people, but. It's the choices they make to manipulate people. So we have to uh, do something about it and say something about it. So uh, I, I want to name a couple of people that have claimed to be uh, super soldiers or that have claimed to work in certain projects and whatnot. Just kind of get your read on them. Have sure. you have you heard of Michael Jaco's claims to get memory recall of being a super soldier? Yeah, I won't talk to Michael anymore. Yeah. I talked. I used to interview with him before he did that. It's like no, you know, he's grifting. And he went on to uh, James Rink's channel, actually, and his Super Soldier talk. And that's where he came out with his uh, his claims of having memory recall. How about um, William Tompkins? Did you look into him? Yeah, yeah. He's um, uh, all of his claims are bogus. Uh, he had a, a brief, uh, low status uh, military career that he uh, exaggerated hugely in order for all of his claims to have any kind of a basis. And he okay. was a, you know, a, a squirrely old man. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's see who else, who else do we have? Th those are really the two that, that came to mind. Sure oh, I've been a... doing this for, you know, uh, all the way back to Dan Burrish. Um, yeah. What about uh, Dan Burrish? Oh, he's a he's a janitor at uh, Area S four. That that's his job. He was a janitor there. That's how he was able to get in and get it to the commissary and so on. Right. Uh -huh. uh, th then he went on to become a security guard. And again, and he isn't he the one that claimed he had an alien jump on him or something like that? And no, no, he he sent uh, he sent J Rod home. J Rod, that's it, J Rod. Right. right. <laughs> and so um, he was doing this uh, thing. I saw the scam going. And what was that guy's name? Um, Henry Deacon. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. You remember? Okay. That was Art Newman. All right. So Art Newman was legit. <laughs> that was terrible. That was, that was a, just a weird situation. So Kerry Cassidy has this um, Zurich conference and, um, and I polluted that conference because they were all basing it around uh, Dan Burrish and I paid for uh, Art Newman to go there. And he spent the time there with uh, David Wilcock. He stayed in David Wilcock's room. Mm -hmm. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford to pay for his room and board, but I paid for his airplane flight there and back from Britain. It wasn't that expensive. Uh, but, you know, we we're all struggling for money at the time, right? But anyway, so he, he blew that conference. And then later on, because, because he was basically a counterpoint, he had a legit government uh, status uh, in the bunker kind of job. And he had the, the credentials to prove it. Why they let him out, why he was talking to, to people and stuff, 
I'll, I'll never know, right? Uh, uh, I maintained contact with him for a little while and then he disappeared again and he was like sucked back into that work. Um, I think he was trying to get out of it and find a life elsewhere and uh, it just it just didn't take, so to speak. Uh, but there have been some, like there's Bob Lazar, there's um, Art, uh, there have been a couple of other individuals within the, the whole realm, but we have to say that 90% 90, 90 of the people that are saying things like that uh, are bogus. You know, they're, they're in it for the money, basically. Yeah. Art, Art never made any money out of it, and Bob Lazar is not making any money out of it, right? So there's a, there's a clue for you. Yeah, yeah. How about uh, how about uh, the new alien contactee channeler people like uh, Elena Denon with her Galactic Federation of Worlds and and whatnot? Okay, so so um, channeling is very very dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, to the individual that does it, and to that individual's uh, next life and the life after that, channeling. If you get to it to a certain extent in your next life, you will be um, basically an absolute um, non-functioning schizophrenic in the sense that you won't be able to tell reality from non-reality. Uh, channeling, okay, so we know from Michael Litton's work that every single cell of ours has a different ionic balance, that it's constantly changing, that our energy levels in our body are constantly changing all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and we also know that our bodies are not hard to energy, that energy can pass through us. It is my supposition that there are um, non-corporeal energy forces uh, that people would claim to be entities, but I won't apply that because that, that implies cognition, uh, self-awareness, and so on. And I'm not sure that that is the case here, but there are energy forces that cause people uh, during channeling to form certain pathways in their brain, okay? And that this is the bad part of, the, of channeling. And in channeling, you have no way, there's no method or... or um, construct mental construct that you can use to tell are you talking to your own brain or right. something external and and it's kind of like sigmund freud's idea of analyzing your own brain with your brain you know your mind with your mind doesn't really work right uh you can't repair a hammer with a ham with that hammer so these channelers are uh there's no way that anything that they said could be valid in any way shape or form nor be proven to be valid so since it can't be proven you can't assume that anything they say is is factual or valid or whatever people send me channeling shit all the time and i just delete those emails right off i'm not right. going to waste, waste my time with channeled material from anybody from uh you know anka um what's his um, no, no, in Pleiadian stuff, we're talking yeah, Galactic oh, Federation stuff. Like it's look just at, look at this. channeling. Yeah. The channeling niche of this all is just huge, and it's and it, so it, it's you can't you just can't that. believe any of it because you don't know, like you just said, if they're no, just, no. Even if even if it was valid, even if uh -huh. there was was a case of a legitimate uh, space alien that could, then you I don't know their agenda, though. You don't know the agenda. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But even on the other side of it, I can actually now postulate a mechanism for telepathy telepathy to be able to be valid with humans, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, that being the case, uh, even if you had a valid telepathic con uh, contact to an alien, as you say, you don't know what their agenda is. You don't know whether they're telling you the truth or not. You don't know how fucked up their mind is and so on and so on and so on. But even if you actually said something that was valid, you can't prove it's valid. So why should any of us pay attention? Right, right, right. Yeah, that's, that's my leaning on it too. I'd 
you just can't tell if if any of it's true or not. So uh, we've got enough problems yeah. <laughs> without without going down these time wasting holes, right? Absolutely, time wasting holes. Great way to put it. Well, the thing is, I actually think that the UFO field's going to bust open, okay? Because I know that the military is freaking out hmm. um, uh, over this threshold event, and there have been um, episodes of um, like the like the tic tac kind of a thing under under the water, okay, under seas, right? And so, so it's escalating all around, and so I think ufology will transform itself as we get into sci-fi world over these next couple of years. And uh, my old data set said that we would get into a, a situation where we had encapsulated Earth language, uh, you know, language about maybe all the satellites busting up and all this kind of thing. And that language is showing up now and it's gaining strength, especially with Elon Musk putting up all of those satellites. Um, and as a temporal marker, that precedes the when it solidifies and we get to the point where we, where we have a much more discussion about encapsulated Earth that precedes what we could think of as, uh, I don't want to say disclosure, but rather discovery, okay? Because it's not disclosure if a space alien, uh, if you walk, turn the corner and find a space alien spaceship sitting in the road and then the alien getting out and, and scanning shit. Right. Right? That's Just, not disclosure. He's disclosure not disclosure entails that you've got some overseeing authority who is Correct. admitting certain Correct. things to you and that's never going to happen. Correct, exactly. It means that you're listening to an authority about your reality. Mm -hmm. And so, so I know that that's not how we're going to encounter um, uh, this deepening uh, threshold of the space alien thing. It will not be through disclosure or any of discovery, that. like you said. Yeah. Correct. And, and then oh. that threshold, you're, you just mentioned a couple of years, you're thinking the way the language is going, you're thinking it's going to happen. Five, 10 uh, years, maybe. Uh, no, 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 not that long. I would okay. think um, two, three, uh, maybe, or before like 2024, something like that, right? Okay. Um, and we will have disclosure along the way as the authorities get to the point where they start dumping more and more information out that they have. Um, but um, there's all of the pits of all of the disclosure aspects. Everybody, yeah. Then you don't know if it's half truth right, or right, what agendas right, are behind right. it or anything like that. Just, just like the channeled info. But, Correct. uh, do you, okay, here, here's one thing I want to ask that's kind of popping into my head here. The, the pull shift of the Earth, the alleged solar micronova, solar flash, what, what have you, um, have you kind of looked into any linguistics surrounding that or have any sure. ideas? Sure. Okay, so if I get something in linguistics, I'll go and check it out in the science, see if it can factually happen, right? right. And the, the mini nova... Uh, can't happen. All right. So I dispute that we live in a nuclear sun universe. I, I know that the sun is in fact a plasma. The plasma can only be generated by uh, the friction of the sun moving through the interstellar medium, which is not, not vacuum. It's got lots of dust and crap in it. This creates the plasma through friction in the same way that uh, the electrical ionized gas of a TIG welder creates a plasma at the end of the TIG torch. Uh, the tungsten ionized gas. And so because of that, here's something, right? Uh, dust cannot accumulate on something moving 77,000 miles an hour. All right. Uh, that it burns up, it flares out. The whole premise of the micro nova is that you got a nuclear sun that is sitting there and dust comes in from space and, and builds up on it in this crust that then breaks and comes flying at us. 
All right, so art, we've had catastrophes, we've had impacts on the earth, we've had all of this, but none of it came from a micronova. And there's never been any micronova seen by anybody in NASA or recorded anywhere in any other sun in any other part of the universe. So this is a fiction, this is a fantasy. So we can just, we can just disregard that. They don't understand the nature of the electrical currents in our universe and how those function. And they think our sun is nuclear, so they failed on two primary area so that'll never happen if we have no. a plasma if we have a plasma sun moving through the interstellar medium and picking up more gas and dust no it doesn't that... it doesn't pick up the dust the dust uh in the friction causes the electrical plasma to grow because the dust becomes consumed the dust doesn't land on the sun if the sun's right. consuming the dust though could Correct. it could the, plas it, um... the plasma is consuming the dust okay so, so their whole premise is the dust is going to accumulate miles thick on the sun and blow off in this micronova. And there's no dust accumulating, no material accumulating anywhere. And we see this, if that were to ever happen, you would see it in the process break and crack as the various uh, whips of magnetic element or of magnetism throw out all of these coronal mass ejections and stuff, right? Yeah. Okay, so... We don't see that ever. We, there's no supporting evidence for any of this uh, die hole or die bold or whatever the place is called um, thing for a mini micronova. And there's no evidence. Or, okay, so, and the evidence for a pole shift is misinterpretation of what actually occurred. So there's never been a pole shift on the earth. All right. And you'll note we have new poles forming on the sun occasionally, but you don't have a pole shift per se. The poles don't rotate around the, the sun going north to south like that. New poles form, consolidate, and then they're, they're fixed. This is a magnetic process. So our Earth, they uh, Hapgood, all of these people from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, 80s, and 90s were misinterpreting evidence that Hapgood had found in the magnetic record. He took this evidence as an indication of the magnetic poles flipping from north to south within our globe. In fact, what he was, he was doing was he was getting that evidence uh, uh, by looking at magnetic fields encapsulated within rock and how they twisted and turned and, and weren't all the same and so on, right? And he made assumptions that were not valid. He did not have in his mind a particular model. And his model, if he'd had this idea in mind, he would have changed everything and he never would have said pole shift. But the idea is expando Earth. So there are no subduction zones on Earth ever. We can't find any. If you look on Google Earth, go and look for a subduction zone. You won't find any. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the but Earth- plenty of, plenty of zones where the rock's splitting apart though, as if right. the Earth is- The Earth is expanding. And at the middle of the oceans is the youngest dirt on the planet. Newly created dirt formed in the middle of the oceans as the continents separate because the plasma ball in the middle of the earth keeps expanding as the cosmic rays come on in and get captured by that plasma. Yeah. Okay, very much like the dust getting consumed on the sun. Which is exactly how I've pictured it too. And then if you take right. the earth 200 million or some odd years ago, shrink it, all the continents fit Correct. Perfectly in and, at, and at that time, when all those continents fit at that time, the Earth was so small mm -hmm. that you could have, it had such lower gravity that an animal that was 90 to 100 to 120 feet high could pump blood to its brain. 
Now on our earth, it is so large that if, our, if we have too much more expansion events, all giraffes will die because their brains are 17 feet off the ground and they're running at maximum blood pressure to get blood up there now. So in 50 million years, body. we're going to be two feet tall. And <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's yeah, yeah. the general trend of things. Right, right. But it also shows you that Hapgood and all these others about these catastrophes. We've had catastrophes. I'm not denying that, but not as these people have described on this periodic basis relative to the magnetism and so on. And I'm deep into magnetism. So, so, um, uh, so I've done serious research on it. I mean, mo most of the information that I come across in terms of the, the micronova and pole shift assumptions is really uh, Ben Davidson's work on suspicious observers. So uh, he's, picking, he's picking it up off of the, the Diebold guys, though. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the Micronova with the first uh, indication of Diebold or is it Diehold Foundation or something like that? Right. Yeah, yeah. The vote, V O G T, okay, is the vote. guy who wrote it. Okay, and he was the first one to use the language Micronova. Mm -hmm. Then later on, suspicious observers picked it up maybe 18 months afterwards. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha. So you're more in line with an expanding Earth theory than... than... Yeah, there's absolutely gotcha. no support for... Uh, so the claimed evidence for the micronova is 100% uh, misinterpreted. And if you knock out their key elements, they, there's no supporting for it. So um, any scientific theory uh, should have so many um, elements within the theory that you can get wrong some of them and the theory still could stand based on the others right mm -hmm. uh this is not the case with this particular theory that they're promulgating it requires that we we live in a world uh, a universe where there are nuclear suns and uh where those suns are stationary and draw dust to them right okay because if those suns are moving through um the universe moving at all. And we know our sun is moving at 77,000 miles per, per minute, I think, or something outrageous or per hour. Um, but if they're moving through um, universe and they were nuclear, they would not look as they do. And then the speed's all relative too, depending on what you're measuring the reference frame against. against. So, I know, yeah, I know, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. I don't have to prepare for some big giant solar explosion in the next 30 years, so. Well, okay, so but but we do have catastrophes, right? right? And we do have an an advancing kind of electronic age. So if we get even a X odd class solar flare coming at us, that could turn us back. Oh, the I'm, dark I'm not. Yeah, I'm not worried about any of that because if it happens, you have to deal with it, right? Yeah. There's nothing you can do to prevent it. So why even think about it, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like um, uh, but in any event. So what I'm what I'm concentrating on are the actual um uh, manifesting problems we got to deal with, like the ice age. Okay, the yep. storms that you and I are experiencing this year are ever so much fierce than last year, et cetera, et cetera. The area of the worse. planet, the the area of the planet we live in, has not had a ninety-five degree day in the summer for um, I don't know how many years. And we had three hundred degree days six months ago. So the extremes are going to get more extremes. Yes, the climate's changing, but it's not caused by cow farts and CO two exhaust. It's caused right. by you know, uh, solar effects. Solar changes, right. The sun has shrunk from 5,000 Kelvin to 3,000 Kelvin. And so we're going to go through uh, a minimum and that's causing the minimum here on earth. So we're going to have all of the things that suspicious observer talks about, mm -hmm. but not because of the cause that he sees pending on that. So we're going to have the food shortages, the, the climate uh, uh, crashing on us in the form of storms. We're going to have glaciation. Uh, the lakes in the, in the sky are going to be terrible with the, the rain amounts. Now, we've gotten 
10 and a half inches in the last 24 hours or 28 hours, something like that. As we get into this, we will find that there's going to be areas in the in the middle of our country that are going to get rain like this for months. You know, um, uh, so it's not going to be impractical or improbable to get a 40 day rain. All right. So some of the Bible kind of things will in fact show up. And if it does happen in the U.S., we're going to get inland seas forming and and all kinds of destruction within North America. And the problem is that we now know uh, from this year that there's two big areas of glaciation, one in North America and one in the Caucasus Mountains in um, uh, the edge of the Eurasian uh, boundary. And so, so we don't know which is going to be predominant in this ice age. It may well be North America this time. Yeah. 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 And that's, <laughs> yeah, I, I've got to get back in Jordan. So, uh, okay. so what we're really in for it, um, you know, but Hey, uh, we all wanted a life when we found these. Yeah, very true. Very true. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me here and expand my brain with all those thoughts like the earth. Um, Let's do this again soon. I appreciate that. When you got sure. more time, and we'll sure. we'll talk about maybe more political stuff on my other channel or something to that effect, and still talk about the linguistics and everything. But yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, Cliff. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Take care. And there you have it. An hour of fascinating conversation between myself and Cliff High. He uploads consistent videos on his BitChute channel. If you just search Cliff High on BitChute, you'll be able to find it. And he also has a Telegram channel called Sci-Fi World. I will link both of those below if you'd like to go follow him and view more of his content. And I'll try my best to get him on one of my channels again very soon so we can continue our banter. Until then, make sure you say subscribe to the channels for this Conspiracy Analytica podcast. There's a Rumble channel, a BitChute channel, and these podcasts go up on Podbean too. I do appreciate the support you guys can and are willing to give for this podcast, whether that's through a subscription on Subscribestar, donations via Carter Crypto, and other ways to support as well. I'll link all those down below. And that's all for me here, everyone. Keep fighting the good fight for truth, justice, and freedom. Do no harm, but take no shit.